Holding the bow in his hand, the ever-full, unborn, incarnated in play in order to save the world. Canto 6. Indrajit. Lakshmana armed himself and took the blessings of Rama before proceeding. Vibhishana and Jambavan with his army of bears joined him. Come hurry, said Vibhishana. I'll take you to the magic grove where he's performing the ceremony. The god of fire will give him his magic chariot, yoked to tigers, which will make him invulnerable. Only Rakshasas can see his hideout. Vibhishana took Lakshmana to the secret grove where Indrajit was conducting his ritual. He touched Lakshmana, who was then able to see Indrajit, kneeling before an altar in the grove, invoking the aid of his favorite god, Agni. He was pouring ghee into the fire with a wooden ladle and muttering incantations. His back was turned to them. The black sacrificial goat was tied to a stake and bleating piteously, wearing a crimson robe and disheveled locks. Indrajit beat the earth with his javelin and out came thousands of serpents and coiled themselves round his arrows which were piled near the altar. His axe then fell on the neck of the goat and severed it neatly so that it fell in a pool of blood. He held the ladle high above his head ready for the final invocation. As the flames leapt higher and higher, the tawny figures of the tigers could be seen, snarling and growling, waiting for their cue to leap out of the flames, drawing the invincible chariot. Vibhishna nudged Lakshmana, and he sent an arrow straight to the upraised radar and split it in two, just as it was descending for the final offering. The Nagas hissed and slithered back to the netherworld from where they had come. And Indrajit swirled around with an imprecation and snarled, You traitor, you have betrayed me. You call yourself my uncle and yet you have disclosed my secrets. Otherwise he could never have found out my secret place of worship. You have eaten the salt of my father and yet you have defected to the enemy. Shame on you! It is better to be a slave in one's own country than a friend of the enemy by licking his boots. One who abandons his own people and adopts the ways of his enemy is a traitor, and I should kill you first before killing Lakshmana. Vibhishana retorted, You are the wicked son of my wicked brother, and I will have nothing to do with either of you. All these years my brother has reveled in sinful acts. His anger and arrogance are proverbial. All these years I have borne up with it because there was nothing I could do. Though I was born in the clan of the Rakshasas, my instincts were always those of a human. If I have abandoned you all now, it is because I am fed up of living a life of sin and wish to take up a noble path. You are a foolish, impulsive boy, bursting with pride. But beware, both you and your father are doomed. And so is this fabulous city of Lanka. By now, Jambavan and his army of bears had begun to harass Indrajit's army. The commotion created was so great that Indrajit was forced to put an end to his verbal combat with his uncle and come out through the secret tunnel into the open forest. The demon prince was furious at having to end his ritual because he then became 
vulnerable. He came out looking like the god of death. Hanuman barred his progress with a tree in his hand. Vibhishna told Lakshmana to go to Hanuman's aid and accost the grandson of Mayan, the master magician. Lakshmana twanged his bow string and the enraged Indrajit rushed towards him. Clad in silver from head to toe, with a silver helmet and silver sword and arrows, Indrajit took up his bow and stood up in his chariot facing Lakshmana. Hanuman immediately carried Lakshmana on his shoulders. Have you forgotten our last encounter, Lakshmana? She snarled. When I made you and your brother lie flat on the ground. This time I will not let you go so easily, but will dispatch you fast to the city of Yama. The two mighty protagonists faced each other for a fight to the finish. Arrow after arrow went with unerring accuracy. Lakshmana broke Indrajit's armor, and Indrajit retaliated by smashing Lakshmana's armor. They were totally oblivious to the rest of the world. Their brilliant arrows, charged with incantations, flew like meteors across the sky and collided in midair with earth-shattering explosions, each negating the other. Beasts and birds flew hither and thither, and the very air seemed to hold its breath in fear. Vibhishana also joined in the fray, but refrained from fighting with his nephew. Lakshmana sent four steel-tipped arrows that instantly fell the four beautiful caparisoned horses. As the chariot started to swerve violently, another crescent-shaped arrow neatly severed the charioteer's head from his shoulders. For a minute, Indrajit faltered, but undaunted, he took up his bow and scattered thousands of arrows at Lakshmana's forces. The monkeys quickly took shelter behind Lakshmana. As it became dark, Indrajit ran back to the city and returned with another chariot. Lakshmana was wonderstruck at the swiftness with which he returned. Lakshmana smashed this chariot also. Lifting his sword high above his head, Indrajit whirled it round and round, so the blade seemed ablaze, but just as he was about to release it, Lakshmana shattered it with a hundred arrows. The battle raged on furiously. At last, Lakshmana took out the arrow given to him by the sage Agastya, charged with the power of Indra, and prayed to the weapon. If Rama, the son of Dasharada, is truly a dharmatman, if it's true that he has ever been truthful, has ever been loyal, and is absolutely unrivaled, then let this arrow kill Indrajit, the son of Ravana. So saying, he let fly the mantra-charged arrow at Indrajit. It flew like a streak of lightning straight to its target, and before Indrajit could counter it one of, with one of its own, it neatly severed his handsome head so that it fell to the ground like a silver lotus. Like the bright sun setting behind the hills lay the head of Ravana's glorious son. The Vanada army set up a roar of victory which could be heard by Rama and Sugriva in the camp. The Rakshasa army fled to the city, leaving their weapons behind. Vibhishana, Hanuman and Jambavan were thrilled at Lakshmana's feet. He was carried triumphantly back on Hanuman's shoulder to the camp, where Rama welcomed him with joy. He took him on his lap and embraced him. He called the physician to come and attend to his wounds, which were many. The whole camp rejoiced, and Rama hoped that hearing of his son's death, Ravana himself would come the next day and fight with him. When Ravana heard of the death of his beloved son of Mandodari, he fainted. Indrajit, who had once captured Indra, the king of gods, 
and brought him in chains to his father, now lay dead, killed by an arrow which had been charged with the power of Indra himself. Reviving from his swoon, he began to lament over his son. My son, my beloved son, he moaned. There was no one like you in the whole world. You could defeat every army you encountered, yet you have been killed by that puny human being. How is it possible? Without you, this entire earth seems to be an empty place. Life has lost its charm for me, now that you are dead, my dearest child. Where have you gone, leaving me and your mother and your beloved wife? Oh, Indrajit, why did you have to die? He forgot that he was the sole cause for the destruction of all his sons. His sorrow turned to anger as it normally did with him. And he decided to kill Sita in truth and not as a trick as his son had done. For she was the cause of all this. He forgot the fact that he had no one to blame but himself. It was his cruel and unjust act which had brought calamity on his whole race. As prophesied by Vibhishana, tears like liquid fire rolled down his cheeks. Picking up his sword, he rushed out of the palace, determined to kill Sita, who was still devoted to Rama. His ministers and wives rushed after him. They had seen him angry many times before, but that was nothing compared to what they saw now. Like a malefic comet approaching Venus, he flew at Sita with upraised sword. She saw him coming sword in hand and realized that this time he was not approaching with words of love but with the sword of hate that meant to kill her as easily as he had professed to love her. How easily swayed are the minds of the wicked. One, one day they profess love and the next day changes to hate. Sita was ready to die since she was convinced that Rama had died. Luckily for her, one of Ravana's ministers, who was saner than the rest, approached him and said, My lord, how can you contemplate such a sinful deed? It is bad enough that you abducted her. How can you think of killing her now when she is helpless and at your mercy? Leave this poor defenseless woman alone and turn your fury against her husband and brother, who are the ones who killed your son. Today is the fourteenth day of the dark lunar night. Tomorrow is the night of the new moon, most auspicious for night rangers like us. That is the time for you to march against Rama, and after having killed him, you can return victoriously and claim Sita as your own. Luckily for Sita, Ravana seemed to find this advice most palatable. He checked his stride and stood for a moment lost in thought. Then, without saying a word to anyone, he turned round and marched to his assembly hall. The next day, he sent his crack regiment of carefully chosen men famed for their valor to the battlefield with orders that they should not return until the Kosla brothers were dead. Armed with all the best weapons of their time, the ill-fated army set out at break of day. The two armies met with a terrible clash and blood flowed like water. Rama tackled them single-handed as he had done the army in Janasthana. The army could not be seen due to the shower of arrows which engulfed them. At last, Rama took up the weapon called the Gandharva, which created a kind of illusion by which hundreds of Ramas could be seen on all sides. Within the period of an hour, he had totally wrecked Ravana's crack regiment. There was a loud wail in the whole of Lanka set up by the wives of the deceased. 
They blame Chudpaneka for being the sole cause of all their troubles. Every house in Lanka was sunk in sorrow. Those houses from which at one time only the sound of music and revelry could be heard were now shuddering with the sounds of moans and groans. As Ravana approached his bedroom, the fascinating Mandodari, daughter of Mayan, the maker of illusions, approached him and softly wound her arms round his neck. My lord, she said, do you have to go for battle tomorrow? Can you not change your mind? Gently he put her away from him and said, My faithful one, you know I have to go, but please believe in me, I will not let you down. You have never let me down, my lord, she said. From the day you married me, you have given me nothing but delight. How can I forget? For the last time, Ravana climbed up the ramparts of his castle and sang the Sama hymns in which he was an expert, and by singing which he at once pleased Maheshwara, the lord of the world. The whole of nature seemed to be providing an accompaniment for his chants, with the sighing of the wind, the lashing of the waves, and the eerie creaking of the trees, as they swayed to and fro, in tune with the rhythm of his song. Dharma heard it down below, and watched fascinated, as Ravana's mighty figure, silhouetted against the sky, swayed and danced to his own music. At last, with the approach of midnight, Amavasya, the night of the new moon, the wind dropped, the waves calmed down, and Ravana came down for his final battle. For the first time, there was a twinge of fear in Ravana's voice as he ordered the last of his generals to get ready for the battle for he had decided to go himself and avenge the death of all his loved ones. His divine chariot with a golden banner, equipped with all the latest weapons and drawn by eight swift horses, gleaming with jewels, was brought to the gate. Ravana leapt into it like a tiger and took the reins himself. The demon warriors cheered and clapped as he thundered down the street. He chose to take the fifth gate, the gate of illusion, and rose up like a black swan into the sky. Thus ends the sixth canto called Indrajit of the Yuddhakanda in the glorious Ramayana of the sage Valmigi, Hariyom Patsat. Vasishta says, The creator as well as his creation is pure consciousness. When that is realized, it is known as Brahman from the Yoga Vasishta.